Hey everybody, Kevin Cronin from Ario Speedwagon here, and you are watching Life Minute TV. You might be listening to the podcast. I'm going to be on pretty soon, so check it out. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So where are you going from? Boy, you asked the tough questions. <laughs> My goodness, I think we are in... Oh, that really was a tough question. <laughs> yeah, at this point in the tour, every question is a tough question. You have to understand. But we flew into Grand Rapids, Michigan, and in a few minutes, we're going to hop on the tour bus and drive about an hour down the road to Kalamazoo, Michigan. So we're oh, in the wow. heart of Ario Speedwagon country today, which is really a nice place to start a tour. Oh, that is so exciting. Yes, today is the first day, right? Today's the first day of this leg. We've done two tour legs so far, and uh, this will be the third. We have one more, and then we get a little time off for the holidays. Oh, nice. So tell us everything that's new with REO Speedwagon. How is the tour going? How does it feel to be back out there playing? It feels great to be back out playing, I will tell you. You know, I don't like being away from my family. I kind of got used to being home there for about a year and a half, which was the longest I've ever been home. And all three of our children had moved out of the house, but they all came back. So my wife and all five of us were together for a good year and a half. And I mean, it was amazing. I, I had no idea idea how much I miss when I'm uh, when I'm on tour. So then we went back on the road in July and from July 1st to July 30th the world changed significantly if you remember but on July 1st it was like hey we got our second vaccination shot we're superman you know let's go out and you know and, and rock and roll and by the end of the month the delta variant had taken over and uh, little by little covid pierced our bubble and so i got home august 2nd and tested positive on august 3rd and wow. i'm a pretty positive person but that was one thing that i really didn't want to be positive about if you know what i mean luckily wow. the vaccine worked kept me out of the hospital and uh we only had to cancel a couple of shows and here we are we're back at it wow oh god i'm glad you're feeling better wow i didn't know that i'm good i'm good 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 Oof. so let's talk about your show what can fans expect when they see ario speedwagon well i'll tell you what one of the one of the great things that happened during the pandemic you know in the midst of all the horrible things that happened to so many people was that my son, Shane, who is a vocal major at uh, USC, he, he's like, I mean, I wish I could sing like this kid. He's just like so talented and such a beautiful kid. T looks like his mom, of course. Uh, he got my dad's blue eyes, you know, so he's just like this. You can't take your eyes off this kid. And then when he opens his mouth, forget about it. But he's like a little musical savant. He turned me on to his vocal coach at USC. And I'm like, Shane, come on, I, you know, I'm, you know, it might be a little too late to teach this old dog new tricks here, but he kept saying, Dad, work with Jeffrey, it'll change your life. And eventually I finally did. We started working via Zoom, so I didn't have to drive into LA, which was nice. And I've been working with Jeffrey Allen ever since. And I will tell you that my son was right. It changed my life. I look forward to singing. We're adding songs to the set. By the end of this leg of our tour, we will have added an acoustic segment to the set. 
We're going to be playing over two hours a night, which is something that I just didn't think I could do vocally. And now, you know, I'm just feeling stronger than ever. And so when I'm singing stronger, it's like everybody else gets kind of jacked up and it just rises the level of the whole group. So we're having more fun. And when we're having fun, you know, it kind of, it's contagious and the audience feels it and they have more fun. And I think what the world needs right now is more fun. That's for sure. That's for sure. So how has it changed your voice exactly? Just stronger, like, or how, how did it change? How would you describe it? What I've been hearing from, I mean, I did a charity event with Sammy Hagar, one of the great rock singers of all time and a great friend of mine. I love Sammy. And after our set, he came backstage and he's like, what, what, what happened? What, what's going on with your voice? He goes, your voice just sounded bigger and more open. And I'm like, damn that and endurance, you know? Uh, so I think those are the three things that just, I'm, I'm just feeling, I'm singing from a deeper place and a more open place. And as a result, my endurance level is stronger. And so it's just, it's just all good i'm honestly it's this may sound really weird but you know i've made my livelihood out of being a singer for for going on 50 years now and there's always been a part of me that has dreaded it because i'm always i was always afraid that i was going to blow my voice out because that happened to me once years ago and so the first thing that I had to overcome in my vocal work uh, with Jeffrey was to kind of overcome that PTSD. It was relearning the whole process of singing. And I didn't think, at first I didn't think I could do it. I just thought, how am I ever, it's just so much information. And the thing that kept my head in the game was the fact that my son recommended it. My son said, dad, have faith in Jeffrey, he'll change your life. So if I would have quit, I, I would have been quitting not only on myself, but on my son. And how many times as a parent do you tell your do you tell your your child, hey, you may not understand what I'm saying to you right now, but just trust me. I, it's I, I love you and, and this is gonna work out for you. And uh -huh. that that thought kept me in it and man i owe it to uh not only jeffrey but my son shane and you know to have a son who's a lead singer he shane is a lead singer in a, in a young band that he is uh in with his twin brother josh josh plays bass and, and sings harmony with him and uh they're called sir please and they got music up on uh spotify and uh pandora whatever and they're awesome you know it's a great bond between my son and i that we're that we both have what uh, people refer to as LSD, lead singer's disease. So we can kind of, kind of help each other through those uh, moments. That is so neat. And it's so neat that they're following in your footsteps. Well, you, it's, it's interesting because my wife and I, and especially I was very uh, careful to not push my children into music because it's like, you know, you see that in some time where you can just tell that the parent is sitting there, you know, helicoptering around and the, the kid really would rather be doing something else. And so what we did is we just had, of course, there were musical instruments all over the house, guitars, pianos, drums, bongos, shakers, whatever. But there were also baseballs and footballs and a basketball net and, and everything and art supplies and everything else. And both of my boys were high school basketball stars. You know, Ario Speedwagon is, has a, a rich history of, uh, of basketball. 
and uh, they were basketball players. And my daughter, Holly, is more of a choir girl, theater kid. And so she's a couple years older than the boys. So she needed to get some boys into the choir. And she figured a good way to do it was when Josh and Shane started high school to kind of, uh, you know, use her big sister clout to get them to join the choir, figuring that other boys might do it. There was a couple of basketball players in there. Turns out Shane started getting a couple of solos and it a, a light bulb finally went up above his head and he went, wait a minute, I can get attention from girls from singing and it's just as much attention as I get from playing basketball, except I don't have to sweat my butt off for three hours a day, 11 months a year. So it wasn't long before they traded in their Air Jordans for Beetle Boots and, uh, and here we are. That's funny. <laughs> All right, Ario Spivang, how have you guys evolved over the years? Would you say you have or? Oh, uh, no, I think we're just as big of idiots now as we always were. <laughs> Actually, we're not as, uh, thankfully, we're not as big of, or I can speak for myself, I'm not as big of an idiot now as I was. Uh, thank God for that. When I met my current wife, Lisa, 30 years ago, she's a Midwest girl. We met in, in Los Angeles, but she's from Wisconsin. And actually she is, I think perhaps the only woman from Wisconsin who, if given the choice to go see REO or REM, would have chosen REM in a heartbeat. So, um, uh, and she reminds me of that uh, often. So she worked for the David Geffen company in Los Angeles. And, you know, so she was working with Steven Tyler and, and Peter Gabriel and, you know, uh, Axl Rose, people like that. So she is not impressed by someone <laughs> being the lead singer in a rock band. And, uh, and that was really good for me. I, I, I kind of I needed that. You know, when you do what we do for a living, you, you, you walk out on stage or even just walking through the airport, walking on the street, there's always people who our music has become part of their life and, and they feel and they want to, they want to, tell us about it. They want to thank us for it. They want to, they want to cheer for us in concert. They want to, you know, and so it's, it's real easy to, for, um, for a person to get a bloated ego, you know, in those situations. So you kind of need a counterbalance to that when you get home and, <laughs> and believe me, I got it. So, uh, yeah, All so. right, I'm interested in that. So <laughs> humbling. Um, how did you guys, you know, get together? How'd you reel her in? <laughs> well, you know, I'm from Chicago, right? And uh, in Chicago on St. Patrick's Day, it is a big deal. I mean, they dye the Chicago River green. Uh, there's green beer. Everybody wears green. And so, you know, I'm of Irish Catholic descent. And so, you know, St. Patrick's Day was a big day. It was my dad's birthday. And so it was a big day in, in my life. So I was married once and became single. And over the years in Los Angeles on St. Patrick's Day, I'd be like, driving down the street and there'd be no one, I'd be like decked out in green head to toe. And everyone looked at me like, like, why is this guy walking around with green clothes on, you know? So I decided I was gonna have a St. Patrick's Day party and show my LA friends what St. Patrick's Day was really all about. I was single, I'd been dating some, you know, just kind of dating around and wasn't really connecting. And so I just had a, a blowout at my house in Los Angeles, which it, it was an amazing house. Everything green, green pool, you know, we, we got green food coloring and 
dyed our dogs green and you know, it was like a big thing and my wife my future wife was invited to the party through a mutual friend she was the last person to arrive at the party and when our mutual friend introduced us now you got to think of this my i'm having a saint patrick's day party in my home everything's green i'm green from head to toe and my future wife's opening line to me is kevin this is lisa lisa this is kevin she she looks at me she goes are you jewish I, I mean, it left on a left field. She asked me that question, you know, and, <laughs> and so I was like, oh boy, what is, and she's just gorgeous, you know, and she's brilliant and funny, the whole thing. And uh, we've been together ever since. That was, that was, that was in, on St. Patrick's Day, 1989. So it's been Aww. 32 years now. We're three kids in and uh, it hasn't always been easy. You know, a long-term marriage is a, is a lot of work but it really is worth it. You know, anyone that thinks that people who've been together uh, for that long, it's been just smooth sailing all the way. No, it's not. You got to work at it, you know, especially if you got strong-willed people and we have worked through a lot. It's tough because I'm on the road a lot. It's, it's like anything, the, the, the harder the, you work at it, the bigger the payoff. Everyone looks at everyone else and thinks, oh, wow, their marriage, they look so happy. Their marriage is so perfect. And it's like, yeah, people looking at Lisa and me would, would, would think that. And for the most part, it's true, but it's not like there haven't been uh, moments, you know, and, and I've been, I accidentally started writing a book in December of 2016. So it's almost five years now. It's the story of my life as seen kind of through the prism of Ario Speedwagon and the songs I've written through the years. I figure if I'm writing my life story and I'm writing it myself, I'm not like talking into a tape recorder and giving it to some professional author, you know, I'm slugging it out, you know, on, on my laptop and, but it's re it's almost done. I hope. And uh, of course, I've been saying that for two years now, but I tell I tell all the stories in, of the fun of, of the band, the struggles of the band, my own struggles. And what I learned is that my songs, you know, starting from the first song I wrote, the story kind of is reflected in the song. So they're so the songs cut are, are kind of in a part of the story. And uh, it's exciting. And uh, and hopefully with with luck, it'll be out by the time we hit the road for our major tour next uh, summer. Exciting, exciting. That's great. What inspires you creatively? That's a good question. I mean, I'm inspired by so many things. I'm, I'm inspired mostly by my relationships, whether it's, you know, with my wife, my, my children, my friends, people I observe. I'm inspired by, you know, events in the world sometimes. And I do, I do like being in an environment of nature that's inspiring, whether it be near the ocean or in the mountains or, um, but, you know, I, um, you know, I've written songs everywhere from Molokai to Tahiti to, you know, Chicago, Los Angeles, various hotel rooms around the country. So I guess I'm just inspired by, by life and life is a, it's a, it's a beautiful, wonderful, flawed, crazy thing that we all have to find our way through, do the best we can. And and I think I write a lot about that, about doing the best you can, you know, and, and you fall short sometimes and you triumph sometimes. Well, I, I can tell you that I started writing songs because I didn't have the skills to express my emotions directly and in a healthy way. So, you know, it just built up inside of me until 
it kind of exploded and I, I was taking guitar lessons and it, the next thing I knew I was writing songs and I was inspired by the Beatles too. I will tell you that musically, the, I was inspired by the Beatles. I was inspired greatly by Stephen Stills of Crosby, Stills and Nash and amazingly ended up, Stephen and I ended up meeting, I ended up kind of rescuing him out from a, from a situation outside of a bar where a bouncer wasn't going to let him in because he didn't recognize him. And I did. I tell that whole story in the book. And, and then amazingly, Stephen and I end up writing a song together again by accident. And it ends up on a Crosby, Stills and Nash record, which I mean, you don't understand, but when I heard that first Crosby, Stills and Nash record, I, I heard Sweet Judy Blue Eyes and I literally, I couldn't believe it. It was the, it was like the greatest song I'd ever heard in my life. And then, you know, fast forward 20 years and I'm writing a song with Steven. It's just like incredible. Oh, that's so cool. Really, really neat. Uh, who do you listen to today? I've got a, a a vinyl set up in our in our family room. So when I'm really in the mood, I I, I have my probably hundred favorite LPs there. And uh, what have I been listening to lately? I've been listening to some Beatles. I listened to I listened to Hard Day's Night the other day. And you know, side one of Hard Day's Night are the songs from the movie, and side two of Hard Day's Night are the songs that didn't make the movie. <laughs> and the songs that didn't make the movie are like, are you kidding me? They're all like amazing. So I uh, listened to that. I, I turned my my kids on to uh, Peter Gabriel's So. Uh, that's just such an amazing LP. And, you know, I just like the fact that, I mean, it's fun to just turn on your streaming service or turn on Sirius XM and listen to, you know, whatever they play, you know, and, and I do that too, you know. But, uh, but I like the idea of vinyl because you pick up this, big thing, you know, with, with a big picture of the artist and, and, and there's liner notes on the inside that tell you who played what instrument on what song and who the producers were, etc. But then you have to gently take the LP out and you have to hold the edges of it. You know, you don't want to put your fingers on the grooves and you have to place it on the turntable carefully, take the tone arm, put it, you know what I mean? So it's just, there's a certain reverence for the, for the music and, and there's a certain ritual of it that, uh, I find, uh, I think music is deserving of that re reverence as opposed to, oh, this is just free. I'll just press a button and boom, you know, so, but you know, I'm a little, I'm a little old school in that way. I'm with you. What's the first one you ever got? First album I ever got was I, I came downstairs on Christmas morning. I believe it was either 1963 or 1964 and the Beatles rubber soul was uh, <laughs> under the Christmas tree. And that, and, and that remains my favorite Beatle album to this day. And, and, and that was inspiring too, because up until then, albums were just normally just, you know, picture of Frank Sinatra on the cover and a list of songs. They're, they didn't even have an album title. You know, if anything, they'd say, you know, one or something, you know, but the Beatles were the first ones to really get, uh, get artistic with the album title. I mean, Rubber Soul, come on. And, and the, you know, the kind of whacked out, a stretched picture on the cover. And uh, that's been inspiring. I mean, we've, we've made albums with silly album titles. We, we've made a career out of it. You know, you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. High infidelity. I mean, whew, that one took some explaining, you know. <laughs> Have you um, ever met any of the Beatles or worked with them? I met Ringo. Uh, matter of fact, I, I was asked to play in Ringo's band and it was the most difficult, you know, turning down that opportunity was so difficult. Uh -huh. um, 
you know, my friend Richard Marx was what uh, played in, played in one of Ringo's early bands. And what Ringo uh, demands of his band members is are, are three things: you have to have at least two number one singles. You have to be willing to play and back the other members of the band up when they play their two number one singles. And you have to be willing to listen to Ringo's Beatles stories. And I'm like, check, check, and <laughs> you know, come wow. on. And, and yeah, so according to Richard, you know, he still travels like a beetle. So there's like, you know, beautiful, beautiful jet with, you know, flight attendants and Dome Perignon and caviar, you know, the whole thing. And, uh -huh. uh, and, and, and he goes around from dressing room to dressing room telling beetle stories. And, and so Richard, Richard had to do some other things. So he called me and because when you leave Ringo's band, the expectation is that you replace yourself. And then of course, Ringo has to approve. But so Richard's like, Ringo's into it. You know, he wants you to join the band. KC, come on, you gotta do this. And I'm like, Rich, if I do that, Ringo tours at the same time as REO tours. I would have to shut down REO Speedwagon for an entire year. I can't do that to my brothers, you know? So, so you know, Richard, this is the fourth phone call. I'm like, Rich, I can't do it. He goes, all right, let me just, just Give me one more shot here. He goes, just picture this standing on stage. You're singing. Can't fight this feeling. You look over your left shoulder and fucking Ringo Starr is playing drums. You're going to pass that up. You know, like, oh, God, oh. And, uh, that would have been fun, but uh, can't do it. You know, my my my, uh, my REO brothers uh, are more important to me even than the Beatles. Wow. Wow. They better appreciate that. I hope they do. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> uh, which leads me to my next question. How do you guys get along on the road? We are very fortunate. You know, the, the REO, uh, we call it the REO way. And the, the REO way is all about family. Our crew members have been with us for, you know, most of them for, for 15, 20 years. The band as it stands now has been together since 1989. You know, and during the pandemic, we we kept our our crew on salary, so we operate like a big family. Everything from our manage our, our management office, our our manager Tommy Consolo was was our tour started out as our tour manager in 1976, wow. so we all know each other really well. And uh, you know, do we get on each other's nerves sometimes? Of course, uh, pro me probably more than anyone. But we, you know, if we have a, if we have an issue, we talk it out. I believe in honest upfront communication. And if you can do that, then no matter what you're saying, if, if it's your, if it's your truth, then, you know, and you say it in a respectful way, then people listen. And, and we've, we've been able to, to keep this thing going. And, you know, like I say, we, every once in a while, something comes up, you know, that we got to deal with, but in general, we're, we're all good friends. We ride the bus together. We're not one of these bands that have separate buses or separate airplanes. We all get on the bus and, you know, we, we bunk down and we, we've got some, you know, some varying uh, political views within the band that we, that we discuss and, you know, in this crazy political climate that, that has been going on for the past few years, um, it gets heated sometimes and, and we work it out. That's what you got to do. You got to be able to express yourself, talk it through, and then, you know, remain friends. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's not always easy to do it's that. Very cool. Uh, what are your secrets to longevity? Well, I think you got to have a sense of humor. You got to you got to take your work seriously, 
but not take yourself seriously. And, you know, that's, and that's kind of a fine line. So as, as far as the band, as far as personal longevity, I think we're really fortunate in that, you know, I've been playing in bands since I was 12 years old. So I'm still doing the same thing now as I was when I was 12. So there's a direct line to that 12 year old me. And so that kind of keeps my way of thinking young, you know, and uh, so if you have, if you're young at heart, I think that helps, but you also have to take care of your body too, because you can be as young at heart as you want to, but if you don't take care of yourself, you're, you're going to start getting sick or getting injured or whatever. So uh, I was a few minutes late for our interview because I was finishing my floor exercises here in my hotel room. I fold up a couple of towels, lay them down the floor, do my 300 sit-ups, my my stretches every day. Uh, You know, I get to the gym on days off, Uh, you know, I, get out and, and walk and ride bikes. And, you know, I used to love to play tennis. I used to love distance running, but you know, you, you get into your fifties and sixties and it's like, wait, every time I play tennis, I'm like my back, my knees, everything hurts for like a week. It's like, okay, I'll watch tennis on TV and I'll, I'll find other ways to keep myself physically fit. So I think there's a, a mindfulness kind of aspect to it that really helps as well. Awesome. And good for you. It shows. You look great. You look fantastic. Changed it all. What about your favorite comfort food? Favorite comfort food? uh, My downfall is (laughs) it's called Skinny Pop, but they call it Skinny Pop. It's like, (laughs) it's not Skinny Pop. It's like you eat that stuff. It's not. It's calories pop is what it should be called. (laughs) And, uh, but no, it's, that's not that bad. It, but it is my downfall. And after a concert, you know, you get so jacked up that afterwards, I need to do something that kind of brings me down to earth. And nothing like a bowl of uh, cheese popcorn to uh, <laughs> a guy back in touch with reality. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, I, I don't know if a lot of people know that when you first started out in the early days, you left for a while and then they ba- basically, you know, begged you to come back. What do you have to say about that? <laughs> well, I tell, the, I tell the story in detail in the book. It, depending on who you talk to, uh, you know, I either left the band or was kicked out of the band. And I, <laughs> and I, and I divulge the actual truth in my, in my book. So I'll, I'll save it. I'll save the story for the, for, for the readers. But the good thing is that during the couple of years I was out of the group, I played solo acoustic and I learned a lot and I wrote some pretty decent songs and it was a real confidence builder. And <laughs> there was, there was one time where I was booked to open, this was in late 73, and I was booked to open for the Eagles at a theater in South Bend, Indiana. The Eagles were uh, touring on their uh, Desperado album. So they hadn't really become superstars yet, but they were they were getting there. So I'm there, I'm standing in the wings, you know, getting ready to go on. I'm all psyched. DJ goes out and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you a young singer songwriter up and coming, just a brilliant songwriter, an amazing singer. Please welcome Dan Fogelberg. <laughs> and I'm standing on the side of the stage and I'm going, oh boy. <laughs> and in that moment, it was either you run for the exit crying or 
I can walk out on stage and just do it, you know? So I walked out on stage and I opened with Music Man, which was probably my most popular REO Speedwagon song. So the, the crowd in, in Indiana, they recognized it, knew that I wasn't Fogelberg and uh, went on to, I went on to have a great show. But experiences like that, you grow a lot as a performer. And, you're, and I've told that story to my sons and because they've had a couple of, you know, rough experiences. And you gotta, you can't let things spook you. You can't let things throw you off your game. You just gotta go out there and, and do it. And uh, I, I learned a lot during those two years so that when I when I came back, I established from the, the first time we jammed together that I wasn't going to be the new guy. I wasn't going to be a side man. You know, I, I, I was going to be, if I was going to be in the band, I was going to be the lead singer. And, you know, Ariel's original guitarist, Gary Richrap, was just, he was a stone rock star. And he's the guy that kind of found me. But, you know, back when I joined the band, I'd be singing at the microphone and he'd be like, in front of me on stage playing guitar it was like wait that's not how it's supposed to work you know when you're when you play your solos you walk out to the front but when the lead singer singing a song you kind of step back and let get the, you know get the lead singer a little so uh so we had to iron that out uh, so there were just silly things like that but they're important you know Good thing you did because that worked. Uh, you're bigger than ever when you came back, right? Yeah, it worked out. It, it worked oh. out well. And you know, once, once we struck that balance of uh, trying to figure out how to take my kind of singer songwriter ish folk rock, you know, melody lyric driven songs, lay those on top of the powerhouse Ario Speedwagon rhythm section, it took a little doing, but we finally figured it out. And uh, once when we did, the, it really did explode. Uh, do you find new generations coming to see you play live? You know, it, it's been amazing. Uh, over the years, you would think that our popularity would start to wane. And it's really the opposite. It just it just grows and grows. And it's I think it's people of our generation who maybe didn't come and see us back in the day. But the fact that we're still around, people are kind of going, oh, wait a minute. These guys must be doing something right if they're still touring the way they are so we get people uh who discover us that way and yeah we get uh you know people bringing their kids to the shows you know uh, um there was a show a couple of years ago where there was like about 10 young people it was a big arena show and they were right up in front right against the barrier and you know they're like spiked hair and tatted up and pierced and you know, wild colored hair, and they were singing along to every song. And I'm looking at them, I couldn't help but notice them. And I'm thinking to myself, wait, are these kids, are, are, is, are they messing with us here? You know, well, what is this? So after the show, I actually asked one of our guys to go out and see if he could find them, because I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to see what was up. And they were, they were easy to spot. And uh, so I ended up meeting them and they were like, we love you guys. You know, we, our parents played your records and, you know, we're into punk rock and, and alternative and grunge, but we love REO Speedwagon. That's why we're here. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'm done with that. I have goosebumps. That's so cool. Awesome. It's great. Great, great. Of course, they thought you were Dan Fogelberg, but. Well, yeah, that's the only thing. They, they were a little disappointed when they found out who I really was, but. <laughs> okay. What's something you never travel without? I never travel without uh, graham crackers. Graham crackers is my, uh, 
is my go-to <laughs> breakfast. And, uh, you know, when you're living in hotels, uh, a lot of times uh, the breakfast uh, menu closes up at, at 10 o'clock or so in the morning. And by the time I wake up, it's already lunchtime and I can't have lunch for my, before I have breakfast, it just doesn't work. So it's actually on our dressing room rider. And I, you know, I, we stock up the bus and uh, in the morning I go out to the bus, make myself a cup of coffee, some graham crackers. I'm also never without uh, my trusty little MacBook Air because that's what I've used to write my book. And uh, that's what you and I are communicating through right now. Uh-huh, there you go. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming. What are you most thankful for and how are you spending the holidays? The list of things that I'm grateful for is uh, too long to even start. I mean, my wife, my family, my friends, the fans who have who have supported my music through the years, you know, the band. Uh, what we're doing, our best friends, a couple who we've known for over 30 years, we accidentally both ended up with little uh, vacation places. We didn't plan it this way, but we ended up being like a half a block from each other. It was just a, it's a long story, which is, which no, no one cares about. But so, so this year is the first year we both had these little getaways. And so we're going to have the appetizers down at Shelly and Adam's place and walk for a minute and come up, you know, Lisa's cooking a turkey. She, my, my wife's an amazing cook. She comes from a, from a family of restaurant tours. So we're just going to kind of walk back and forth from one house to the other and uh, celebrate Thanksgiving. Our children, our friends, we take vacations together. It's that kind of thing. And Shelly, uh, Shelly Pikin is actually a, a songwriter of some uh, renown. She wrote uh, What a Girl Wants for uh, Christina Aguilera. She wrote Bitch for Meredith Brooks. And, the, and she wrote a book, which was a Grammy-nominated book called uh, Confessions of a Serial Songwriter. And it was her book that kind of gave me the idea that maybe I could write a book too. So I, I, I kind of owe that to Shelly. Very nice. Very, very nice. Okay. Since this is life minute, if you had to give us one of life's most valuable lessons that you've ever learned, what would it be? The biggest lesson that I've learned is if you need some help, seek it out because there's no shame in realizing when you need some help. And rather than being a sign of weakness, I, I, I find it to be a sign of strength and courage. Nice, very nice. And what's something you wanna do that you maybe haven't done yet? Uh, so many things that would be in my bucket list, I've been able to do. I've been so fortunate to have just traveled the world and writing a song with Stephen Stills would have been one of my things that I haven't ever done, but I ended up doing it. What do you like to do most when you're not working? I like to go for a walk, just, you know, have the music on in the house and uh, just kind of, just kind of chill, just kind of, because um, my mind is always working when I'm, when I'm touring and, and there's, there's a lot more that goes into, um, you know, being, being the lead singer in a band than just that time on stage. There's all kinds of other things that I'm constantly having to think about it, having to plan and having to be thinking creatively about, you know, the direction of the band, you know, what the next tour, then, you know, all that kind of stuff. I just, so I like to just kind of turn it off for a while. How is music therapy? Well, music is, it started out as being my only therapy. Uh, as I said before, I wasn't really given the tools to deal with my emotions. When I was a kid growing up, my parents did 
give me guitar lessons starting at the age of about, I guess I was about 11 years old. And uh, so I was playing the guitar and I didn't really know why. And then when I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show and I heard that they wrote their own songs, I was like, you know, I had my little guitar and I knew my little guitar chords. And I found that there was an emotional outlet for myself in writing lyrics and also the guitar you beat on it when you play it, at least the way I, at least the way I play it. You know, I, I pound that thing, you know, I'm, I'm a rhythm player and proud of it. And uh, so just the physical act of beating on that guitar was just cathartic. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it started out being therapy for me. And to this day, uh, songwriting is total therapy. Totally, I, I, I've, I've written songs and then, you know, years later, uh, you know, all of a sudden I'll go, oh, that's what I was writing about. And I didn't realize what the song really was about, you know. And in writing the book, every time you do a rewrite, you kind of peel the onion back a little bit more. And I'm getting down to, to the core of the real inspiration for a lot of the songs I wrote that I thought were just songs about a girl or songs about, uh, you know, something like that. But it ends up, it was, the songs were about much more than that. And uh, so very therapeutic. Awesome. Great, great. Any guitarists that you really think are great today? I love the way Dave Grohl plays the guitar. And I know Dave is a, is a drummer at first, but he plays the guitar the way I like to play the guitar. You know, it's more of a Peter Townsend thing where you're not, you know, shredding like, you know, Eddie Van Halen or, or those kind of guys. And I have all the respect in the world for that kind of playing, but I like the guitar as an accompaniment in, in instrument to singing. So I like the way Stephen Stills plays the guitar. He, he's, he's just my all-time favorite and he's, he's underrated, underappreciated and Man, if you want to hear some great guitar playing and some great singing and some great songwriting, check out Steven's first solo album. It's amazing. Awesome. So great. Anything else you want to tell us that we didn't cover? Man, you covered it all, girl. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's anything left to say. I think I'm going to throw my book in the trash. I basically <laughs> told all the story. Yeah, just just kind of that uh, we're, that REO is planning a major tour for 2022 with our best rock and roll buddies, Sticks, and a special guest, which I can't divulge. It's going to be the shows go on sale in early December. It's our fifth uh, national tour with Sticks, And when REO and Sticks get together, something special happens. And uh, we love those guys that Tommy Shaw and I have a real special relationship. And that was the seed of, of, of the first REO Sticks tour. You know, most co-headline tours come from agents and managers and promoters, but the Ario Sticks combination came from Tommy and Jeannie and Lisa and I going out to dinner and everything kind of grew from that. So there'll be a major tour next year. We're looking forward to that. Hopefully we're going to do some shows uh, with our good friend Edwin McCain. Edwin came out and did a couple of uh, shows with us last month. And he was on our tour with Pat Benatar back in 2010. And Edwin, he's just amazing. That's all I can tell you. Um, he, you know, his song, I'll Be. And uh, he's, got a, he's got a million of them. And he's a great guy. 
so personable and so we, we're hoping to do some theater shows with edwin uh next year and hopefully my book will be out next year so next yeah. year purports to be a, a exciting year for ario speedwagon and we look forward to uh getting into it hopefully the pandemic numbers are dropping all yeah. the time and hopefully they continue that momentum continues to to dwindle and by next year things will be back to some sort of normalcy thank you so much it was awesome to talk to you you're fantastic. Uh, well, thank person. you very much. Well, you did a great job. Uh, it's it, you know, what when 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 the interviewer does their homework and kind of knows what they're doing, it makes the make makes my job so much easier and and more pleasant. So, thank you, dear. We'll do this again. Absolutely. Next year. And when your book comes out. Next year. Keep writing. When the book comes out, Finish it's a date. Thing. All right, awesome. Have a great All tour. Right. Good luck. Stay well. To see more of this interview, visit our website, lifeminute.tv. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Life Minute TV.